dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also, Mike, in a moment as we have another category review episode for you today, going through the lead actress category with a very, very special guest as we are welcoming back Izzy of Be Kind Rewind from YouTube. One of our favorite channels on the internet, one of our uh, our most watched channels on YouTube. You know, Mike, we watched so many of these videos uh, uh just binge them lately just to reorient ourselves but we've been we've been watching them all year especially during this pandemic year so izzy's doing mm-hmm. a tremendous job i really loved uh her video a historical guide to mank i read the book the carringer book that she referenced because she told me to read that book the making of citizen kane <laughs> during the video uh a couple months ago so that was kind of you know reorienting my uh film study on that crazy in-depth movie but i mean she did that to me last year with uh the little women video comparing every version of right. Little women and I, then i had to re-watch all the movies again but i mean she's got so many great videos here the united states of tony was something i just discovered this year that was terrific why the help and you're going to mention a couple of videos that that's related to why the help uh was, was tremendous about eight months ago the audrey hepburn video the ingrid Bergman one I mean, there's, she goes into individual races, Mike. She goes into themed videos. She just does an awesome job. Yeah, she is the definition of video essayist and just one of the best critical thinkers uh, of Hollywood in general, not just the award season, but her focus is on the actress categories, and that's why there is no better reference and no better person or guest to uh, to have on. We could not be more grateful and thankful that she is sharing a bit of her time with us today as we go through one of the wilder and wider open categories on the Oscar slate lead actress, Izzy of Be Kind Rewind joins us you can find her on twitter at bk rewind or on youtube if you type in be kind rewind bkr you will find her there and seriously just watch all these videos you you listen to our podcast and you listen to us drone on the level of efficiency the the journalistic value of these yeah. uh, of these videos is one thing but certainly the I, the, the the content you you can't find better Oscars content on the internet. Period. True. I mean, she is amazing at what she does. Izzy of Be Kind Rewind joins us to go through lead actress category review. We will see you all on the other side. All right, on the line once again, welcoming back Izzy from Be Kind Rewind on YouTube. Izzy, thank you so much for joining us this year once again. Of course, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, Izzy. Uh, your videos this year have been awesome. We're trying to hype them up as best we can, even though you don't need that. But <laughs> they've also gotten longer. And I'm wondering when you, like, make the leap into just full-blown documentaries. Like, <laughs> I Look, no offense to the Rita Moreno documentary at Sundance, but your video is better. So, like, <laughs> when is it happening? When's the debut feature? Listen, when you find someone who wants to give me hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars, <laughs> I absolutely will make that leap that's not really 
up to me, but would love that. Yeah, I don't know if it's the audio, but you kind of pause between hundreds or thousands, <laughs> and now you got it, hundreds and thousands, two million, hundreds th- of thousands. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so yeah. yeah, once yeah, once you categorize it that way, then yeah, maybe yeah. it'll happen. But uh, fake it till you make it. But you're, you, I mean, you're making these huge documentary-sized episodic videos, and it's just, it's just been tremendous. And uh, you know, kudos again. They're awesome. It's a great channel. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. That's very kind. So I think we got to start with this lead actress category today, talking about what the Viola Davis win at SAG now means, because that win secures the fact that we're getting different winners and therefore no repeat winners from the major precursors. And this hasn't happened ever in a while, but of course... It means that all our film Twitter friends, all our pundits, they're just locked in this heated debate, and I cannot help but wonder how you would approach this particular race if you were making the video on it, which I hope you do uh, in the future. Are you are you favoring certain wins or certain stats over others? Should we put greater stock in narratives over numbers? I mean, can you can you look back to Oscar history on this one? Can you find close? precedence or i mean are you just kind of factoring in the insanity of 2020 uh into this category how do you approach lead actress where would you start uh you know i feel like like most of 2020 this is really a year apart um for (laughs) i have been very swamped with work from my like actual job recently so i haven't been paying as close attention as i normally like to um and I was like, you know, wow, I, this is the first year I just have no idea who's going to win. And I thought it was because I wasn't constantly reading articles all the time, like, you know, just keeping up with it religiously. Mm-hmm. But then I posted on my Instagram story like, hey, guys, you know, who do you guys think is going to win? I'm not sure. I haven't been following as closely this year. And the responses I got back amazed me because Ooh. nobody knows. And I just realized, like, oh, it's not actually me not paying attention. It is the fact that this race is just bonkers. So you're going to come around to, like, Gregory Peck being at fault somehow? Uh, <laughs> yeah. In this race, just like 1969. <laughs> that was a great video, by the way, versus Hepburn. But, like, I mean, it could be that close where something has to be a tiebreaker. Like, so you, you, right. if you're going into your research, are you starting with the stats? Because you have referenced stats before. Are you a stat person? Uh, are you a crossover person? Are you more... Or more about narratives, uh, I, I would say. I mean, I think there are certain things that statistics are really useful for. For example, this year we're seeing biopics hmm. that are, of course, like a huge trend right now um, that have just been getting more and more popular. For example, if you see Billie Holiday, that's another performer, which is, again, like very statistically likely if you're looking at Best Actress nominees. Hmm. Um, but there are also things like the fact that it was 2020 and nobody saw movies in a theater or the attention that the industry is really paying attention to racial injustice that I think really have changed the mood and what people are paying attention to this year. A vast majority of the films this year are about the justice system in some way being unfair. Mm. You have The Trial of Chicago 7, Mangrove, which is like British, but still gets at the same issue. You have Billie Holiday. MLK FBI was a huge documentary this year. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely just 
this sort of sense of correcting or reassessing our history that is making a huge impact on what people are consuming and also making right now. So I would also factor that into it. And I think it's also all about timing. A lot is going to happen between now and a week from now or two weeks from now when the voting actually ends. So we'll see. Getting into uh, the voting and somebody who was maybe a surprise with how many votes they garnered at the SAG Awards, uh, Viola Davis, like Mike said, did walk away on the SAG stage winning Best Actress. It does lead to all this variety amongst the winners, but there seems to be maybe a generalization oversimplification regard with regards to the fallout from SAGs as people have tried to to maybe diminish that win as important on her resume saying well she's had this history of success she's won sag so many times on on both the tv side and the movie side so maybe it doesn't mean as much and it's it's quite aggravating to hear those kinds of arguments uh, especially considering that we could be on the verge of history where we could have not only two black leads winning best actor and best actress but we also have might have a best actor and best actress winner from the same movie, which hasn't happened in almost 25 years. Back in 1997, uh, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt did it with As Good As It Gets. Uh, How do you personally view the strengths, and if there are weaknesses, any weaknesses to Viola's candidacy right now, is there credence to the idea that, well, Ma Rainey's isn't necessarily, it didn't make the best picture field, so that should be held against her, or is it all just people looking for talking points right now in the way they try to oversimplify and overgeneralize what happened with her in that upset win at SAGS? Um, I I think... A little bit of all of these things are true. Definitely people are searching for narratives right now because everything is so unclear mm. that, you know, maybe this one thing that we find might be the answer and who knows, maybe it is. But, you know, there have been plenty of Best Actress winners who were in movies that were not nominated at all outside of that category. So that's something to think about. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that did surprise me sort of after I asked that question, because I on Instagram, because I asked right after the SAG Awards, was that people were changing their minds in their answers to me (laughs) as they were sending them to me. Like, oh, I thought it was going to be Carrie, but now after Viola, I'm not sure. Hmm. So I think if the SAGs were to have like any impact at all, it might be something like that, where a voter might think, actually, maybe I should reconsider Viola, or maybe it goes the other way. And it's like, oh, wow, I need to double down on, (laughs) on Carrie because... Maybe she's not going to win, you know, like it might solidify a voter either way. That's fascinating because I do think people are kind of reaching for some arguments right now to just make sense of it. And one of those arguments as strange and it's kind of uh, on the outskirts of this particular race, but it still factors in because Viola Davis is only in 26 minutes of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She she's, has the lowest screen time of the category, and I always keep forgetting to thank Matthew A. Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, for, of Gold Derby, who does all the screen time mm. calculations, people. So the last two episodes, we've been referencing screen time yeah. numbers, and I, I keep forgetting. But Izzy, like, there's quote-unquote category fraud just about every single year, and you know more than anybody. Like, like it's this timeless pastime for the Academy Awards, going back to Brando Pacino of The Godfather and Betty Davis and Baxter of All About Eve, etc., etc. I mean, Brad Pitt won for 55 minutes of screen time last year in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Rooney Mara was nominated for 70 minutes of screen time in Carol uh, in supporting. But then, like Viola this year, Charlize Theron 
had only a 30-something percentage of screen time from Bombshell last year with 37 minutes. So please help us. Help the internet. These arguments <laughs> may be on the periphery. They may be skirmishes that don't necessarily apply to this category. But how do you view the differences between lead and, and supporting? How have you viewed it historically? What do you view as category fraud? Does it even matter in this case? Um, I know people feel very strongly about category fraud, and most of the time I don't personally really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just looking at this historically, like, I would say a vast majority of Best Actress winners were not actually the lead in the movie that they won for or were nominated for. And most of that just has to do with the fact that there aren't that many <laughs> movies that actually star women as leads like leading their own narratives Mm. the movie is about what is happening to them and from their point of view but they get nominated anyway because someone has to be nominated and they have a significant screen time so i guess they're the lead and then additionally on top of the fact that a lot of women aren't like leading the films that they're actually nominated for you have a lot of other considerations that are clearly just political there are women who are just too famous to be nominated in supporting. This was huge for Myrna Loy, for example. One of the reasons I think she didn't win an Oscar for a long time is because she was technically supporting in a lot of her movies, but she was just far too famous to ever even consider being nominated in that category. And then finally, I mean, all of this is really just studio manipulation anyway. So it's just sort of like, what a studio thinks they can get out of it financially, meaning what category do they have the highest likelihood of winning in? So to me, like all of this is a game anyway. (laughs) So the fact that someone is sort of playing this game in a way that maybe doesn't seem fair is just kind of funny to like harp on to me. Sometimes it's a little bit frustrating with, for example, Judas and the Black Messiah, like, who is the lead of that movie, if not (laughs) Judas or the Black Messiah? Mm. Um, And yet they're both supporting. Like, it makes no sense. It's it's very frustrating. But to me, it's just all sort of part of this game that has never made sense from day one. So I'm not going to try and put my own logic on it at this point. Right. If nobody's, if if the rule makers aren't going to play by the rules, why should we get all that? Yeah, I I think I'm understanding what you're saying there. And as far as what mainly affects the studios in terms of playing the Oscars game in the first place is kind of the bottom line. Uh, We've been stuck in quarantine this year. We've tried to uh, take up hobbies or maybe uh, that affect our own personal bottom lines. And this may not shock you to hear that one of us here possibly is a degenerate gambler. And as such, uh, we do like looking at the Vegas gambling odds and the betting lines every year for every Oscar category and every award show. So uh, let's just say it's, it's, it's not Mike. Let's just say it's I have a friend who might be this type of person. So you might be surprised to know going into the odds uh, of this category for lead actress, Carrie Mulligan, despite Viola Davis upsetting her, still does have the best odds at plus 125. She's closest to even money to win this category, win best actress. 
there's a lot of love for Promising Young Woman on film Twitter, and Mulligan has taken home the most Critics Circle awards, including this year's Critics' Choice for Lead Actress. The film did get five nominations, four of which we would probably classify as major categories. So let's say, for my friend, does it surprise you to hear that Carrie Mulligan is in fact still the betting favorite? And if my friend was to place money based on your expertise, where would you suggest my friend puts it? Um, That was my assumption up until the SAG Awards. Um, Like if someone had asked me to place a bet on Saturday, I would have bet Carrie Mulligan. Mm -hmm. And I probably still would just because she's never had one. She seems generally very well liked. There are two previous winners in the category and then two not newcomer. Well, I guess Andre Day is a newcomer, but so you have a newcomer and then one who's been around like a while, but not in the same way that Carrie Mulligan has. Mm -hmm. So like, it makes sense to me if, if I were going to make a bet, that seems like a pretty good one. So on your professional advice, I should just liquidate everything and put it on. Yeah. Gotcha. Put your savings on. (laughs) I like that you say that with your just full fledged confidence. Like it's your (laughs) loss, dude, do what you got to (laughs) do. Yeah, that's great. And, and it, And here's how degenerate we get this year, what a pair of degenerates we've become, I guess, because I'm about to cite some BAFTA betting odds. Yes, people bet on the BAFTAs, Izzy, and Frances McDormand, Frances McDormand is the betting favorite or the even money favorite, as we'd say right now. And, of course, Vanessa Kirby is second uh, and a close second at plus 175, so... I'm wondering how you view BAFTAs in this particular year. They went a different route. They basically were so racist in the past. They were so white in the past, (laughs) BAFTA so white, that they did not allow their voting body to vote. They had nomination or long list committees. They had nomination juries. They had people argue for certain movies because they had discourse in in these jury rooms. And all that's cool, but that's... That's basically conducting themselves like a film critics association. And again, we like it. We're, we're film critics. We, we like that voting procedure. It's kind of democratic. And it, people make their states and uh, or stances and they make their arguments. And we got some great films nominated at the Baptist. And I've been really happy to watch Rocks and watch Bucky Backray. I've been you know, been, been loving uh, Wunmi Musaku in, in his house all year and Alfre Woodard. Of, uh, of Clemency from last year and, and the 40-year-old version and Rada Blank. This is fun to see, but it's, it's not as impactful on the Oscars race. And I'm wondering how you view what happens at BAFTA this coming Saturday, how that's going to impact the Oscars, and if you think the Academy is going to take the winner seriously because it's only two of the five Oscar nominations. So if McDormand wins... What do you think happens? If Kirby wins, what do you think happens? If the field, if neither of them win, does that discredit and discount McDormand and Kirby going forward? What the hell's going on at BAFTA? <laughs> um, well, I have to say I really like their field in general. I mean, it's much closer if I were to pick my own nominees. It'd be nice. much closer to this category than it would be to the American one. I think... You know, there's a good chance that Vanessa Kirby wins because they, unsurprisingly, love the British at the BAFTAs. <laughs> um, I think, though, if the only of the two of them, if 
Vanessa Kirby wins, it's less impactful than if Frances McDormand wins. Because to me, Vanessa Kirby has sort of been running at the the back of the pack, so to speak, in terms of likelihood to win the Oscar. I don't think that the BAFTA would launch her into first or second place in terms of the likelihood of winning. Mm -hmm. But Frances McDormand, on the other hand, I think has sort of been in serious contention, at least as far as I'm aware, like in terms of critics and Oscar pundits paying a lot of attention to her performance and how she might actually win her third. Mm. So if she were to win the BAFTA, I think that sort of launches her into a very serious contention for winning. And it would mean something. I mean, I know you say it kind of in jest, but it's there's, the history bears it out. The BAFTAs love voting for the home team whenever they can. I, mm-hmm. I mean, when, they, when it's a British uh, actor or a British movie is up and they can try to steer momentum that way, uh, they'd love doing that. So to eschew that and go against the, the Brit that is nominated in the bleed actress category and go for McDormand, even though it would be McDormand's uh, on her trail for her third, I think that would be a huge deal. I absolutely agree with you. To go in mm-hmm. more about the other nominees we haven't really delved into that deeply yet, it's been an incredibly strange year, obviously, uh, and the film year has been no different uh, in that regard. Uh, we've had multiple guests on the show here already who have basically landed on the idea that the streaming titles and performances will likely do better in their estimation in award season. And maybe that's not entirely due to the ease of access and accessibility of the films, but... Certainly, there's at least a part of that because these are all just mere fingertips away. All they got to do is click around on a remote and you get the movie, even though you can't really go out in the theaters in 2020 and enjoy them. You can watch them in their own home. And yet here we have Andre Day, who you say, I mean, she is a relative newcomer, at least to the screen, but she had one of the more shocking Golden Globe wins of all time. She's in a streaming movie. She's the star of a movie on a major streaming network. And yet she's probably been at best the fourth most discussed and talked about name in this category in the past few weeks by critics and pundits alike. And indeed, going back to those gambling odds, she has, by most books, the fourth best odds in terms of who's likely to win the Oscar on Oscar Sunday. What do you attribute this maybe stalling of her momentum to? And is there anything you, in your estimation she could do or her team can do to kind of reignite or get back some of that momentum, given the fact that she failed to merit nomination on the BAFTA stage, too? Well, I think part of that is that Billie Holiday came out a lot later than the other ones. So I mm-hmm. think she lost eligibility for some awards that she initially probably should have been eligible for or would have in it maybe in a different year, different release schedule. Mm. Um, I mean, personally, I mean, just coming from my experience, that movie is so bad. (laughs) 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 Like I was so excited. I didn't see it until maybe a week ago. Um, I was really excited to watch it because everybody was raving about her performance and I turned it on and it was honestly just like frustrating to watch. That is a sentiment we share with you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's hard to watch because it's constructed genuinely badly. And like, to me, I really wish I was watching her in a movie that wasn't actively fighting her and like 
was actually allowing her to show off the obvious and very clear skill that she has. Because when it does let her just perform, it's gorgeous. She's wonderful. Mm. But to me, I mean, that feels like the biggest barrier there, honestly. But I, I don't think it's necessarily... I think maybe there's an over... Um, uh, people are making streaming more important than it is because Oscar voters have an app in which all of these are streaming anyway. Right. Or most of them. So it's like, for for the most part, all of these are already available to them streaming. They're also probably getting screeners. So, you know, I don't want to overstate the importance of streaming there. So you touched on my follow-up a little bit earlier, but I, I do... I do hope you can elaborate on the lone nominee factor. And and it's because Andrew Day and Vanessa Kirby are lone nominees. It's because Glenn Close kind of taught us that lesson from a couple years ago where she was the lone nominee from the wife. And that seemed to be a potential tie-breaking factor in that close race that she had with Olivia Coleman. So this is very clearly a close race. And like you said, Andrew Day's she's excellent in that film even though that film is is a rough watch and it, and it sucks that the the story doesn't play as well as it should because that documentary was a hell of a documentary her life was my god what a hell of a life mm. and and here we the, the movie doesn't do her justice necessary it doesn't do her music justice unfortunately and it's and it kind of overshadows the production design of the film the costumes of the film like those could have been nominated especially in this year and it just didn't happen and vanessa kirby pieces of a woman that's a whole other set of issues where i think the shia labeouf factor really hurt pieces of a woman so how how do you view the lone nominee factor here for those two movies? Does the screener pile argument, I mean, I, I know you say it's a tip of the fingers, whether it's on a streaming service or, you know, kind of a, a streaming app for the Academy, but they do, you know, they, they do have assistance, like we've heard from recent guests, where that just cut up highlights from these 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 movies sometimes they don't always watch every single one of these movies and if a movie only has one nomination are they watching it or are they just watching the big ones with the multiple noms right i think if you are if you represent the only nomination of your movie Hmm. it helps to be a major celebrity already Hmm. so in the case of renee zellweger and judy or let's say julianne moore and still alice these are women who people are going to turn on a movie because of that actor already. There's no getting to know this person involved. Yeah, There's a, a built-in curiosity about what they've already, what they've achieved with this movie that has like the context of their career already. And so if you are Vanessa Kirby and people just know you from Mission Impossible or something like that, I think it's a lot harder to maybe stir up that curiosity about what you you're up to mm-hmm. or if you're Andre Day and maybe they've just heard one of your songs on the radio it might be a little bit harder so it's definitely not impossible but it's just i think name recognition goes a long way in situations like that that is a fantastic point i think you're made i i yeah that makes a whole lot of sense and i think oscar's history would bear that out as well talking about the lone nominee wow um Awesome. Awesome. Uh, So I guess before we dive into 
uh, more of the the ethical type questions about what's going on with these nominees and with the actress categories historically and specifically for this year. Uh, we'd all be remiss if we didn't ask you straight up which which of these is your favorite performance and how do you think it stacks up against some of your favorite performances from recent years? Um, were I to vote this year, I probably would vote for um, Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Yeah. I would say I think it's definitely my favorite performance of the 2020s. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I see what you did I, there. We're great yeah. at sitting on fences here at Mike Mike wow. and We pride ourselves in it, and that is a fence sitting. That's a fence sitting statement of all time. Great job. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, no, I mean my pick for winner never wins, so that doesn't give me a lot of just karmic faith in Francis McDormand, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really stunning. Probably my favorite Francis McDormand performance, I guess, since Fargo. I mean, I guess my favorite win of the 2010s was probably Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Mm-hmm. And I definitely liked Nomadland, not as much as The Favorite, but a lot more than Three Billboards or Judy or La La Land. Um, so it's definitely up there. It's definitely up there in recent years, I guess. Cool. Well, maybe uh, maybe karma will have to pay its due. Maybe it's a new decade and it's going to come around and listen to <laughs> Izzy and Be Kind Rewind and Francis McDormand yeah. will be on the stage once again. But awesome. I, I appreciate the insight there. We'll start wrapping up. We have a couple questions more akin to what you tend to always focus on in your videos. And we started this kind of trail of questions with you last year. And that's actually where I'm going to start here is you said something when when you were nice enough to join us last year in the supporting actress category that really stuck with me in that the Academy has historically tended to select female nominees and winners based on their ability, the actress's ability to play the roles of caretakers or empathetic professions. So in other words, the Academy has a history of putting the roles which women are, quote, allowed to be rewarded for within this box of stereotypical gender roles, regardless of how antiquated the notion of those may be. And that clearly was not the case when it came to the actor categories. Uh, we're going to delve a little further into gender and racial equality against the backdrop of this category before we let you go here in a minute. But as for this question, has the Academy remedied that ill at all this year in your view, or is it more kind of the status quo, more of much of the same to you with these nominees? Hmm. That's a good question. I haven't thought about it. Um, Hmm. I would say that overall, like, no, I don't think that's changed entirely, but it's definitely in the process of changing. Mm-hmm. Um, as things start to shift, I think we're seeing a lot more biopics of like women who have achieved something in their careers, right. mm. which is interesting. Of course, in this case, this year, we have Ma Rainey and Billie Holiday. And again, like I said in what my biopic video, like, what's the one job that women were allowed to become famous for entertainers so it makes sense that we consistently see this again and again you have judy the last time two black women were nominated in the same category one of them was playing billy holiday so these motifs like kind of recur again and again Hmm. um but i think it's sort of like promising young woman actually 
says something to me and how we're kind of rounding the corner to like think about certain assumptions in terms of how women are navigating the world and sort of trying to find narratives that are actively seeking to to reframe, I guess, women's place and what they should or should not do and what is acceptable to say or not say. So that's that nomination is really interesting to me sort of beyond the context of Carrie Mulligan's career, but just in terms of um, how Hollywood is like responding to the Me Too movement, not yeah. like from a not from a um, employment perspective or anything like that, but just like what kinds of narratives are we going to to write about what's happening and how there's been this monumental shift in what in how people are conducting themselves, basically. I think you just set up a great segue and you don't even realize yeah. it with that. That's the perfect segue to my follow up here because of I, I do think that Promising Young Woman represents a, a kind of film that is really at the nexus uh, of what you're talking about there. And Harvey Weinstein and the Oscars was the first video of yours that I watched. And I, this was over two years ago. And uh, I, I loved your channel from then because I knew that you're going to delve into the study of and, and the histories of women in film. And you're not going to sugarcoat that Hollywood history. Like, like let's be frank, a lot of, of the punditry out there, you know, it, it gets to be this film promotional type of wing of Hollywood. And that's fine. I mean, we want to promote the films we love too. And we do, but I do think there's a hesitance to dive in to the, to the down and dirty of it. And that film has been challenging for us all year. And it's been something Mike and I have, have wrestled with quite a bit. And I, I love uh, the craft of it. I loved how she dared to make a satire out of the, the least funniest subject ever. I, I, I loved a lot about it. Uh, I love that performance. I, I just do. And yet there's still something in the back of my mind where I'm like, wait, what is my man brain not getting about Promising Young Woman? What, what, are, we, what are we not getting about a, a film like this being received the way it's being received? And you've been able to find the undercurrents and the underreported histories in your videos. And you, you've, you've reported those. You've had the courage to report those, even if, you know, you recognize your own limitations. And, I, and Mike and I have recognize we recognize a lot of limitations we have as two straight white guys you know reporting on this and and covering th this subject so we t we we receive promising young woman one way but i mean it, i i just love how your channel it kind of refuses to box these movies in and just categorize them and and yet there's always that push and pull from the the rest of the 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 journalistic wing and, and film Twitter, etc., to do just that. So th this is a long-winded question of, of of saying how the heck do you view Promising Young Woman as a film in this landscape post Me Too, and and without necessarily throwing it into a category. I mean, where do you think it's kind of furthering the conversation? Hmm. That's a good question. It well, took me I know a long that... time to say. It. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Um, cool. Because, I mean, I've just had a lot of people love it and a lot of people hate it mm. um, for exactly the same reasons. And 
this is one of those topics i mean especially with what her character is dealing with like there's not going to be one right solution to people who experience the same traumatic event are not going to respond the same to it and we'll find different things in this movie to love or hate and so it's hard to say like i don't think this is the response to me too but it's a response to me too and i think that sort of like what you were saying i really appreciated it for what it was attempting to do in terms of like inventing a story about this as opposed to like ripping a story from the headlines svu style and the way that like bombshell did for example Mm. um Hmm. so hmm I don't know. I mean, I think what a lot of people were sort of taking away from this is that it's not this issue isn't exactly that there are hidden monsters like Harvey lurking around every corner. It's that everyday people make bad decisions sometimes and that can affect people's lives forever. So it's not just about like, you know, like the worst thing in the world happening to you. It's that nice guys can be kind of assholes sometimes. Oh. And like, you you know, like everybody needs to be thinking about what they're doing clearly and like asking themselves about the golden rule. And I think that's kind of an under discussed aspect to the Me Too movement, because a lot of it is very sensationalized, Mm. like the Matt Lowers, like having a lock from behind his desk so that the doors lock behind people like that's crazy. That's like comic book villainy. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, it's not that. Most of the time it's your friend or somebody you know or somebody you meet at a bar. Right. And that's that can be just as scary. So I really appreciate that, that, that this film sort of tried to get at that from sort of a a Killing Eve angle, I guess I'll say. Because I, I, I really felt like it was mm-hmm. um, directed very similarly to how she's been leading or how she led season two of that show. So, um, yeah. I guess that's my take. <laughs> well, it's, it's a phenomenal take. And I, I mean, we absolutely I I adore it. having you on because you're always so thoughtful and so insightful. Uh, we'll get you out of here on, on this last one. And I, I will preemptively apologize because this is another one that is going to be quite lengthy for me to set up and deliver. But if you'll indulge me for the next <laughs> 75 to 80 minutes so I can get through it, uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you in advance. But uh, and truly, if you missed Izzy's uh, social medias at the beginning of this episode, we're going to have them again at the end. And, uh, and before we say goodbye here, Izzy, let's uh, let's hear your thoughts. You spend a ton of time in your videos highlighting. And I think you just gave an example of it, uh, the thoughtfulness and, and kind of the insight that you bring. Like Mike said, I think put it very well. You you try to keep things out of the box. You don't put things into the box and you refuse to let Hollywood in the industry put certain movies and certain performances into this box the way you dissect them. And you spend a lot of time highlighting and chastising or criticizing the business along the grounds of both gender and racial equality as well. And in fact, in all honesty, that's one of the attributes that made me personally most want to reach out to you and ask you on in the first place last year, uh, the way in which you go about dissecting the, the content as you do. Now, clearly the Academy is striving to do better both in terms of representation within themselves as voters and an entity, and as far as roles voted on to become nominees, on the actress side especially, yet 
going through recent history and this category specifically of lead actress, we all know there's only been a single actress of color to win the Best Actress Award in Holly Berry, but maybe lesser known is the fact that in the 19 years since Berry's momentous and historic win, we've still only had 12 minority nominees in this category in total, and that includes Viola Davis and Andre Day this year, which also happens to mark the first time in that stretch the category has carried multiple nominees of color in a single year. You mention in one of your most recent videos and talking about Rita Marino, the history of award-winning or nominated actress performances that had to basically placate or, as you put it, assimilate to whiteness, for lack of a better term, uh, to be accepted by both studios and audiences at the time, which clearly is the first benchmark that needs to be passed in order for Oscar success to follow at some point. Anyway, now, I... I think we aren't still at that level, right? I mean, there's been the Oscar So White backlash. There's been all these social media movements. The Rita Moreno's turning blonde to play characters named Gail Preston's aren't being predatorily described and degradingly praised as making the decision to pursue upward mobility in their careers anymore. But the statistics alone here indicate that obviously more work needs to be done in terms of an equality and representation standpoint. I'm wondering your thoughts, if you could just comment on where you think both the film industry and the awards industry separately are with regards to rather with regards both to racial equality, but also gender equality and maybe how you'd go about implementing change more rapidly. So the results and the output could match the lip service constantly being paid on these issues towards equality, the lip service done by the Academy towards the betterment and striving towards equality and representation as the Academy is so known to always do. Mm-hmm. Um, so around this time last year, when we were talking about Parasite, someone asked me, like, is this a harbinger of things to come? Like, are we going to see more non-American films winning? Like, are things going to be more diverse? Or they asked me if it was a, is this going to be genuine change or is this a blip? Mm-hmm. Is this an anomaly? And at the time I I answered, I wouldn't be surprised either way. And I used Halle Berry as an example because at the time, you know, that was held up as this somewhat momentous thing, but it wasn't seen as something that should signal a shift in how casting was done or how nominations were distributed, I guess. So now having gone through, you know, this past year, and seeing the kinds of films that are coming out, I sort of feel like this is a new normal. I have a lot more confidence this year than I did last year in the fact that it is a signal of a a new way of doing things in Hollywood. And I think, to be honest, I'm not saying that because I think that they've had some awakening and are now like less racist than they were five years ago I think what they've realized is like they're not going to make money if they don't do that anymore or if they keep making all white content this is a financial decision for them and a PR decision because I cannot see any category moving forward like being entirely white and not receiving a ton of backlash that I just cannot envision that happening. Yeah, and good. that's the same for like any show that like has a cat, a cast being announced or any movie that has a cast being announced. Like if you put forward an all white cast now, that's not specifically about like maybe a historical moment. Mm-hmm. You're, 
in trouble, <laughs> basically. Yeah, friends wouldn't fly in 2021. <laughs> exactly. And like, that's something I agree with. So I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not here to like scream about cancel culture or anything because <laughs> I, I agree there shouldn't be that situation in casting moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I do think that things are changing, that this will sort of be the standard going forward. And I hope that that's the case. I hope we actually see the winds come through and that it's not just lip service. But it does sound like they're actually trying to make um, tangible changes to how films are nominated, what films are actually considered for nomination that will make this more likely. I know they float, I don't know if these are actually in effects, but they're floating like unless your film includes XYZ, it won't be considered for for as a contender. Mm-hmm. I don't recall much of what they put in those lists, but I would love to see um, studios make similar commitments to, right. you know, devoting a certain amount percentage of their resources toward furthering the diversity of the industry. Um, and I think, you know, we also need to pay more attention to the behind the scenes of it. It's not just like whether Tessa Thompson gets another lead. It needs to be like, who are the studio heads? Who are the directors? Mm -hmm. Who are the cinematographers? Like who's doing, who's makeup? All of this stuff can't just be run by the same type of person because it matters Mm -hmm. the kind of change that you're seeing, not just an aesthetic change. Um, So yeah, to me, I think that makes a huge difference and I'm hoping that more behind the scenes efforts are moving are taking place moving forward. Well, I'm not religious, but amen to that. Yeah, from your lips to God's <laughs> ears, we can only hope and pray. But uh, Izzy, it is truly uh, one of our favorite conversations every year. We we thank you once again for coming on thank and you. sharing uh, sharing a, an hour or so with us. Can't thank you enough for the insight and the thoughtfulness. Uh, and uh, just thank you. Thank you once again for being here. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. I mean, she's the consummate professional. She's like the consummate YouTube host, the consummate podcast guest, uh, more knowledgeable than 90% of the people in this field. She's outstanding. Uh, Cannot thank Izzy enough for joining us once again to talk lead actress with this year, Mike. Yeah, 90% is probably lowballing it there, you jerk. (laughs) Uh, No, she, she wasn't even in the Google document. I'm so impressed with her. Like, I, I offered her, I was like, do you want to be in the Google document? And she's like, nah. And I was, and then I'm like, uh-oh, I'm worried now because all our other guests are at least, they at least want to be, no offense to our other guests, but they, they kind of want to be in there, most of them. And she was like, no. And we did not ask softball questions, Mike. We were like watching her videos all year and yeah. all weekend. And we were like, oh my God, this race is so perplexing. And let's just throw it all out there. And she just, yeah. I mean, she just hit every one of them out of the park. Handled it all. And she, she is, she is amazing. And we will recap where you can find Izzy's work on the outro of this episode. But before we do leave you guys today, well, we did want to run down not only our personal rankings as you heard Izzy give her number one who she would vote for we're going to tell you five through one how we see this category ourselves but before we get there Mike we have some snubs we wanted to mention yeah Zendaya uh from Malcolm and Marie I again I loved her performance there I think we both loved Michelle Pfeiffer from French Exit Mike yeah, absolutely uh, absolutely I'll, I'll speed it up here but Haley Bennett 
of Swallow, Carrie Coon from The Nest. I thought they were terrific. A couple of deep cuts, Nina Haas from My Little Sister, Morfitt Clark from St. Maud, uh, a la uh, Eric Weber there, and uh, Eliza Scanlon from Baby Teeth. That, that movie has really stayed with me, Baby Teeth. But uh, uh, Anne Dahl Torp from Charter, Michael. I thought she was incredible. Anya Taylor-Joy has not gotten enough love for Emma, even though she's got love elsewhere. Elena Yiv from Asia, I was a huge fan mm. of. And uh, just a great year for lead actresses and a great year for female-driven stories. Certainly a deep year indeed. We had Elizabeth Moss from Shirley and also Elizabeth Moss from The Invisible Man at one point was holding the zeitgeist. Sidney Flanagan of Never Early, Sometimes Always. Rosamund Pike, the Golden Globe winner of I Care A Lot. Jesse Buckley from I'm Thinking of Anything. Julia Garner from The Assistant. Odessa Young, also of Shirley there. Aubrey Plaza of Black Bale. Riley Keogh for The Lodge. So this was a deep, deep year Four lead actresses, any of them would have been uh, fine, I think, as nominees in this category. But we land on these five. Uh, we have Viola Davis, Andre Day, Francis McDormand, Vanessa Kirby, and Carrie Mulligan. Those are the five nominees for the lead actress category. We're going to run them down and rank them. And Mike, you and I have very, very similar rankings. We actually only disagree on one slot and we're only one spot apart. Yes, but I, I'd be remiss to say I, I I I forgot to read another list, but I had Nicole Bahari, I had all all four BAFTA actresses there uh, on my list as well. So apologies there, but Nicole Bahari obviously won for Miss Juneteenth. I had like a, a another list of uh, people with resumes that I forgot to read. It just goes to show how incredibly deep this field was. Huge, and this is look for as crazy as this film year was, we kept coming back to well, at least lead actress is going to be a great category, and it is. And this is why. I mean, all those names and then some. We just rattled off I think twenty plus with more that we could have mentioned. Totally. Yeah. No, I took names out of the list to put them in another list, but I never put them back in the same list in my Google <laughs> document. So I've been thwarted by my own Google documenting. Damn. Michael, we have to count down these five, though, and we have to editorialize the Oscars like we always do. And I'll be honest with you, man. I have shuffled this list around all year. I've shuffled this list around all day, for Christ's sake. And and that's not a pun on, the, on, on somebody's name here. Like, Francis McDormand was literally my number two, my number one for much of the year. You and I have both rewatched Nomadland a bunch, and we've revisited it. And she is very playful with these non-actors, and sometimes she's, like, annoyingly playful. And that, that's, again, it's just a nitpick. This is the thing. Like, right now, we're nitpicking. Yeah, Francis McDormand's performance in Nomadland, which is just stellar and is Izzy's favorite, and I feel guilty, but I'm, we're, we're sticking to our list here <laughs> that we just, just going to see the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we got to put Francis McDormand as our, as our number five, unfortunately. Yeah, Izzy's approach and delivery in this episode has made is is like the thing that well maybe I shouldn't put because I just don't want to feel like an idiot with with how well thought out and well just everything Izzy did in this episode. But yes, I also had Francis McDormand as my five, but it is a nitpick. I mean, these are five great performances overall. I, for me personally. The top two, I think, kind of separated themselves. So three, four, five is very fungible. But, I mean, it's I, I don't think you're going to... 
there's no loser in this category is what no, I'm trying to say. No, this is the best of the best, the creme de la creme. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I have a couple of my snubs kind of catapulting into my rankings, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe after I keep rewatching these movies at the Mike, Mike and Oscars, I won't. I don't know. I don't even know what we're doing with the Mike, Mike and Oscars this year, but I don't know. Best actress has been something that we've, we've gone uh, around and around about all year, Mike. And Andre Day kind of was somebody we knew would be in this conversation and if somebody we were hearing would be in this conversation for forever we were expecting her to be a late breaker we said it literally all year long and she delivers a, an excellent performance in a kind a lousy movie a, a movie that I, was better yeah. than i feared in one respect and when i did review it i was like all right the production values are insanely good and the story is aggravating but she's awesome in it and okay so i come away with it goods being delivered and yeah i thought she got the mimicry right with the billy holiday character especially after that documentary this year i thought she i mean she's such a talent singing i mean she's a singer she's a former singer songwriter she comes from the music world and she's my age mike and the the fact that she's launching her career into stardom after having this whole other life and career again it makes me feel very unaccomplished in my own right but <laughs> the fact that she could just dive into a movie like this uh, and, and and nail it and get Oscar nominated for it and win a Golden Globe for it is a testament to Andrew Day. It feels like, pardon the pun to Oscars history, recent Oscars history, but it feels like a star being born. Oh yeah, when you watch this performance, breakout. It's a, Andre Day is, is a name that I, I think is a name that's going to be around the Oscars uh, in the future as well. Uh, I yeah, it's, I echo a lot of the things you say. Movie was eh. Her performance was certainly the standout. I think she deserves to be here. She's outstanding, out, absolutely outstanding. But uh, you can't give everyone number one. Is my only thing i land on True. somebody's got to be four here so that's where i land on and maybe izzy's right maybe the movie the merits of the movie do take away from the performance yeah. and maybe that's what the lack of momentum to her uh, campaign has been attributed to the uh, lately and it's about rewatch points too like i loved promising young woman the first time i watched it and the more i rewatch it, it it's it does lose a, a few points because i start to nitpick it and and maybe that's the that's why carrie mulligan's in the three position for me because yeah, it's it's a bit too poker faced at times, and I, I wonder, I wonder if you know Izzy was wrestling with the same thing. I mean, this is really cool that they're trying to attack this subject matter mm -hmm. with the scaffolding of this kind of story. I mean, they have to to not not just fit it in a genre, a particular genre, but to pull off the story in its own right because it is this sickening tragedy and shocking triumph all at once and that's really not a spoiler because my brain just exploded it saying it right now so like <laughs> the fact that carrie mulligan is is playing with the audience and she knows she is and she can't help to know she is and also delivering the performance and and and, and landing that character is is really a, a high degree of difficulty but yeah i mean sometimes it's almost like she lays back i don't know again i'm nitpicking it's the performance, and I think Izzy hit on this too in answering your question, it's the performance to me that would signify the most growth of the Academy. Right. Uh, and then while I'm not in, you know, enthusiastically high about Promising Young Woman in general, I think it's a fine movie. I gave it, a, I think, a solid B if I remember right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not enthusiastically high about Mulligan's performance, even though I do think it's Academy worthy and I do think she's great in it. 
it's the one I would think I think I'd be most excited to see win in terms of what it would signify to me. Wow. Uh, that said, again, I just think the other two, the final two we haven't touched on here, should be one and two for me. Yeah, I think I came back to these two performances, especially upon rewatch. I was wowed by so much. And again, you know, there's nitpicks to be had, but this category is so strong and the highs are so high that like when Viola Davis has those musical numbers and she's like the lip syncing champion of the world since Rami Malek. And again, that's that's high praise because he did the greatest job lip syncing in that film. Like she is so powerful and so little of the film. She's in 26 minutes of it. And it does like, I was shocked to learn that from Matthew A. Stewart. Again, shout out to him uh, from gold derby with all the screen time stuff, Mike, like a S T E W a R T by the way. And it was shocking to me when I learned that she was only in 26 minutes of it because she looms so large over that entire film, over that entire story. And you walk, you walk away from watching my Rainey's black bottom, remembering like your cinematic memory. It's just branded yeah. into your memory. Those scenes that she has with the Coke, with the getting in people's faces and just walking down the hallway. I'm never going to forget Viola Davis walking down the hallway. And if she ever stared at me, Walking down the hallway like that, I would run the other direction, <laughs> and I would be right to do so. And you have Viola Davis as your two, Kirby as your one. I flip-flop them. I have Kirby as my two, Davis as my one. I don't know how much I believe in that. I can go back and forth on those two at any given moment, quite yeah. frankly, but I'll sing Kirby's praises as you just did Davis's anyway. I mean, the, the emotional attachment and the resonance for such a – to, to make that pain feel as universal that that character is going through in Pieces of a Woman, yeah. which is clearly a female-specific pain, uh, and, and through that we get the female-specific lens that all that happens through to make it resonate as well with any type of person you are uh, because of the tragedy's impact on the family mm-hmm. and the mother-daughter relationship, the relationship with your husband or wife, your significant other, the relationship with your family member, your parent. It, it, it's really uh, stunning to behold. Kirby and Davis, to me, are kind of like the exemplary, the the two examples of what performances are. Mm-hmm. One's this biopic where Viola Davis totally loses herself and becomes this character. Vanessa Kirby doesn't rely on any kind of huge hair and makeup changes, costume changes, but it's the emotional draw that draws you in, the emotional impact of her story. You have two tailor-made examples that I think are top-notch, top of the class, and what these two actresses do with their respective performances this year. Yeah, and I think both Kirby and Davis, in the loud moments, they can hit the high notes, right? when the performance needs to be loud, but they also have those subtle moments throughout. And Vanessa Kirby, it could be could be in a boring transitional scene, right, where all the critics got mad at these boring transitional scenes where she's on an elevator or she's on a bus. And, again, like I said, Viola Davis walking down the hallway, Vanessa Kirby on a bus that breaks your heart, Vanessa Kirby mm-hmm. in, a, in a department store in the mall. And the way she delivers some of those scenes, like Leonardo DiCaprio has said in the past, you know, deliver lines in an oblique way. Deliver lines the way people won't expect, the way audiences won't expect. And Vanessa Kirby was doing special kind of things with that performance for me to where, again, right now, 
uh, it's a tribute to this five. That's how I, I, you know, we editorialize the Oscars, I guess, to put those two up top. But yeah, I mean, you could convince me of Viola Davis being there or Andrew Day being there or McDormand tomorrow. And I'm sure Izzy could today. You know, I'd feel guilty. I was like, yeah, wait, right. should I move McDormand <laughs> up like a couple of just cheat and just play, pander and play? No, I, I can't. We, we can't. We should have, though. And we still might by the time Oscar Sunday comes around anyway, because this is just this is how fluid that this list feels uh, to us. But uh, what matters, as always, most of all, is we want to hear from you, dear listener. What how do you rank these five nominees? What is your favorite performance? What do you have two through five as well? You can leave us all of those as well as anything else having to do with comments, questions or concerns on anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. Uh, Before you hit our social medias, though, if you would be so kind as to subscribe to Izzy's Be Kind Rewind channel on YouTube. You can also find Izzy on Twitter at BK Rewind, the letter B, the letter K, the word Rewind on Twitter is where you can find her. You will not find better Oscar-related content, better actress-related content, better video essays about film in general than Be Kind Rewind on YouTube. Uh, As far as our social medias and where to find us, we are, of course, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts and if you happen to be listening to us right now on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you're leaving reviews, feel free to leave one on Be Kind Rewind on Izzy's channel on YouTube as well. Uh, We and Izzy would both surely appreciate that. Michael, what is coming next from us and what are some words of wisdom to end this episode on? Well, the words of wisdom is easy. I mean, just follow and subscribe, Be Kind Rewind. I mean, you won't regret it. Uh, that that's an easy one, and I know we play on c- film criticy pretension with the words of wisdom, but that's actually just downright wise. <laughs> Follow and watch those Agreed. videos; they're Agreed. awesome. Uh, in terms of what's coming next from us, you know, this is this special programming season where we we have a lot of guests that uh, we're really excited to talk to. We got another one scheduled for this week, I believe, Mike, and another category or two to the talk first timer. Yeah, so that that we're gonna have a, a, another first time guest next week, another returning guest next week. So we got a good mix of people that uh, are gonna, you know, d- deliver a lot of insight into these categories, and we're not gonna pull any punches. We're not gonna throw any softball questions out there. I don't think. I mean, we just preparing these docs, and we're throwing out these major questions. So. I guess that's laying down the gauntlet for everybody else because these first two, like Swell and Izzy, like we did not hold back. And I guess we can't. Nah. I guess we can't though. I mean, we, we just can't. We're in, we're gonna exhaust them, and they'll never come back. But uh, uh, but that didn't. I guess that didn't happen after last year. So they they right. They forget that they forget that we're two for two, at least so far. And hopefully, hopefully we can have uh, first time guests become returning guests in the immediate future as well. We're kind of trying to search all corners of the Internet, all corners of movie uh, criticism and watching this and punditry to come on and join us for these category reviews uh, for Hopefully your enjoyment, dear listeners. So very excited indeed, Mike. Yeah, we've had some great guests all year round. I mean, we really have. We're booking them through the spring, by the way. I mean, we're getting more social somehow, Michael. We really are. So this has been <laughs> this has been the strangest year where we've all isolated and quarantined and didn't leave the house except to like walk the dog. And yet here Pretty we much. are spreading our wings like social butterflies. I can't believe it. It's very it's very very weird. It 
that's should have been our tagline as well. Yes, it, it's very weird. It's very, very Guys, weird. Mike, Mike, and Oscar. <laughs> when reality sucks, you can come review these categories with us and our friends. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make a worse season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.